Would you now turn in your Bibles with me? While you remain standing, we're going to read the Word of God standing together. Uh, First of all, I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 14, verses 13 through 31. And then we'll turn our attention uh, to Hebrews as we continue our uh, series of sermons through the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses... 29 to 31. But first, Exodus 14, beginning reading at verse 13. This is, uh, just to give you a little bit of background, the uh, children of Israel have been released from Pharaoh and Egypt, and they have traveled a ways and gone to the uh, Red Sea, and uh, they were pretty much at the... uh, uh, at the beachhead, uh, but... uh, wondered what they were going to do, and at that point they saw that Pharaoh had sent his army after them to bring them back, and so that's what they were seeing, and so they were uh, kind of between a rock and a hard place at that point, and that's where we begin uh, verse 13 of Exodus 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the hosts of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without, without one coming near the other, the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the, the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, 
Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. And now would you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, just a couple of verses, verses 29, 30, and 31. 29 through 31. Hear God's word. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given friendly welcome to the spies. Let's pray. Father, we ask your blessing on your word proclaimed this morning. We thank you that you have given us these scriptures and that they are given us for our sanctification and for our growth to lead us to Christ and to cause us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may that be accomplished this day among us. For Jesus' sake, amen. You may be seated. In uh, chapter 13 of Hebrews, the writer says, speaks of his letter as a brief word of encouragement or of exhortation. A brief word of encouragement. Well, as we've been going through this for several months, we might be wondering how brief actually it is, uh, but uh, it is a word of encouragement. Hebrews is food for the spiritually anemic. The book of Hebrews is the word of God ministering to hurting souls. In Hebrews 11, as we've been going through this particular chapter for quite some time, is the heroes of the faith chapter. And the word by faith, those words is repeated again and again, focusing on people who lived by faith, by faith. And faith is not just an understanding of God. Faith is not just a knowledge of certain things about God. Satan believes that Jesus lived and that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. Satan, Satan knows that that's true. He believes that. But he doesn't have faith. Faith isn't just an understanding or a knowledge. It is an abandonment of all you are, and resting on the grace and love of our crucified Redeemer. Which, of course, Satan does not do. 
but the faithful do. They abandon all that they are, and they are resting on Jesus and Jesus alone. And the writer of Hebrews says we cannot please God without faith. We cannot please God without faith. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please God. And now the issue, though, of course, isn't faith in and of itself. The issue is the object of faith, Christ. And the whole of Hebrews is given to acknowledge that Christ is the greatest of all, greater than the priest, greater than Moses, greater than angels, greater than the Old Testament sacrificial system, greater than all of that, Christ is greatest of all. And so, he's, so the issue is not so much faith in, it, in and of itself, it is faith in Christ. And here in these verses that we just read, 29, 30, and 31, we have three examples of faith. Three examples of those who believed God in the face of great obstacles. The first obstacle is an ocean, a sea. <laughs> the second obstacle is a fortress city. And the third obstacle is a sinful, wicked life. So let's look at those together. Uh, Egypt is following after the children of Israel when they are uh, halted at the Red Sea. And the children of Israel were, as I said a moment ago, between a rock and a hard place. They had this sea before them. They didn't have boats. They didn't know what they were going to do. And behind them, they had the Egyptian army coming after them. What's going to happen? And uh, initially, they were complaining. In the verses prior to uh, verse 13, that where we started reading, uh, they were complaining. Why have you brought us here? Just to, to, so that we can die here in the wilderness? And they were actually blaming God. Their future looked pretty bleak and hopeless. That was the situation where they were in. And that's when Moses said, hold off. Stand still and see the salvation of our God. And the people stopped their grumbling. They said, okay, we're going to stand still and see the salvation of our God. God, of course, opened the Red Sea so that the people could walk on dry land. We're talking several million people. It's a big group. And in the meantime, God placed his pillar of fire and cloud between the children of Israel and Egypt to give them safety, to give them sufficient time to get through. And then God removed that pillar so that the Egyptians followed. And they also went into the sea. And we know, of course, what happened. The children of Israel made it to the other side, but the Egyptian army did not. And they drowned in the sea. 
So what was salvation for one people through the sea was the destruction of the other. And what made the difference? Well, the one group of people believed. They had faith. And this, then, the writer is given to the spiritually uh, debilitated, to the spiritually hurt, hurting. Do you think you have it bad? <laughs> Look at the children of Israel. Remember their situation. Is anything impossible with God? Now, in saying that, it's very true that people have or, or can be in very bad, hard situations. It's in no way a denial that that is the case. And we might feel as hopeless and as desperate as a people may feel when they have the ocean, a sea on one side and an enemy on the other and don't know what to do. Stop, stand still, and see the salvation of our God. Is anything impossible for God? It's an encouragement to trust when you're perplexed when you're hurting, or when you feel desperate. This passage also seems to highlight for us that wherever there is faith, there is also unbelief in the mix. There is unbelief uh, is also operating. Wherever the gospel is preached, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, some will hear and embrace and believe and be saved, and others will reject it. Paul says that we, the people of God, we are a fragrance of life to some, but we are the stench of death to others. Jesus himself, for some he is the cornerstone, and for others he is a rock of stumbling. But this is a word of encouragement to the spiritually debilitated. Is there anything impossible with God? Don't turn away from him. The second example of those who believe God in the face of great obstacles is when the people entered into the promised land, the land of Canaan, and uh, the first city that they came to was a fortress city named Jericho. And the command that God gave to the people of Israel is a rather strange one, isn't it? For six days, he instructed the people and the priests to walk around the city one time each of those days. But on the seventh day, 
they were to walk around the city of Jericho seven times. And they were to blow their trumpets and yell. Then there was to be a loud trumpet blast. The people were to shout loudly. And God had promised that he would give them the city. And so what happened? They obeyed God. They believed. They might have scratched their heads wondering what in the world is going on. Why are we doing this? But God is God. And I'm going to trust that what God says is true. And so they took those seven days. The first six, they traveled around that city one time. Uh, each day, and on the seventh day, they did it seven times. And on that seventh time, they blew the trumpets, and they shouted out loud, and the walls of the city crumbled. It's kind of humorous, almost. There was no battering rams, no catapults. Trumpets don't break stone. People's yelling that doesn't uh, weaken stone, doesn't bring down walls. But again, it is stand still and see the salvation of our God. See what God can do. And so that, like, that wall that was in Berlin and between East and West Germany collapsed. Communism collapsed with it. And someday, Islam will collapse. Because it is false. It's a false religion. Someday, Buddhism and Hinduism will collapse. And every other ism will collapse. And the only thing left standing will be Christ and his church. Those who believe. Those who have faith. In Isaiah 40, God says, to whom will you compare me? This is what we need to see. You know, uh, I said in the, pr in the er prayer earlier, you know, how when we hear the news or we read the news or when we see it on television and we see all the craziness going around in our country and around the world and terrorism and threats and all of these things, it's good for us to come to this place this morning and to hear God say, to whom will you compare me? Stand still and see the salvation of our God. God has it in control. Of that we can be assured. And the church of Jesus Christ, the gates of hell will not stand against it. Much less a few terrorists or whatever that we see in this world. Or wingnut news people or whatever else who are so against the church and against Christ these days. They're just little peons. And it's good for us to know that. It's good for us to hear that. The Lord is on our side. <laughs> That's what we need to know. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is for you, not against you. Do not be discouraged. This is a word of encouragement. 
Or thirdly, let's look at Rahab, the prostitute. That's what she was called throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament. Whenever Rahab's name was mentioned, it was Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. She was known to be a sinner. You see, the readers, the readers at this point, it, you know, these debilitated Hebrew Christians who were thinking about turning away from the faith and they're reading through all of this, they might be saying, I'm not an Abraham. I'm not a Noah. I'm not a Moses. This doesn't say anything to me. Oh, well, let me tell you about Rahab. <laughs> the harlot. Let me tell you about her. Why is she always called Rahab the prostitute or the harlot? Calvin says, it is to highlight and to heighten the grace of God. And I think that is so. Rahab knew, she comes on the scene in Joshua chapter 2. During the uh, time of the, where the children of Israel came up to Jericho and uh, uh, Joshua sent in the, the spies uh, into uh, Jericho and she took those spies in and she protected them. In Joshua 2 verses 9 and 10 she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. She was a Gentile. She didn't know much, but she knew something. She knew enough. The God that you serve, you spies, is to be taken seriously. That we know. And I believe in that God. She didn't know not much, but she knew enough. Congregation, it isn't great, outstanding, huge faith that saves. It's faith. And it isn't weak faith a stumbling faith that condemns, it is the absence of faith. And Rahab had a little, but it was real. She actually did believe. And what she does shows it in helping and saving those spies. And remember, she is, or was, a prostitute. Jesus said to the religious Jews of his day that harlots and sinners would enter into the kingdom of heaven before them. <laughs> Talk about winning friends and influencing people. <laughs> that was not probably a message that was going to do it. Uh, Harlots and sinners are going to get into heaven before you. That's what Jesus said. Why? 
because they know, they acknowledge their sin, and they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, forgive me. They repent. And Jesus says that. They, they believe and repent. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. So Jesus doesn't say that their sinning is good, they're being the prostituting is a good thing. No. But he says, go and sin no more to those who come to him in repentance and faith. And this is true of all of us. In some sense, we are all prostitutes. We're all harlots because we commit spiritual adultery all the time. We say that we are faithful and, and, and true to God, and yet we turn away. And we sin against Him. We ignore Him. We act as though we are not His. And Rahab was a Gentile. She wasn't numbered among the Jewish people of God, but numbered among the goyim, the, the unclean among the Jews. But she was also numbered among the elect, the ones numbered among those whom God had written in the book of life is Rahab, the harlot. And not only that, but God sees to it that she is in the human lineage of Jesus. So that when we see the genealogy, Rahab is included. It is God saying, those who honor me, I will honor So yes, Abraham, the great father of the faith. Noah, what faith to build the ark. Moses showed great faith. So did Rahab, the harlot. And what this says is, choose this day whom you will serve. You are a child of God here this morning. Faith is trusting God to act according to his promises. It's believing in the promises of God. It's saying, God, you have been true throughout all of history. You never once uh, uh, backed away from your promises. You've kept everyone, and I believe them. Though things may seem impossible, faith sees that God is true. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Mary said to the angel, how can this be that I am with child? Because I've not been with a man. Is anything too hard for the Lord? How can this be? How can sinners be justified and saved? How can this be? You might think of those two things together. Think of Mary saying, Lord, how can this be? I have not been with a man. How can I have a, ch how can I have a child? And how can sinners be justified? You know which is the harder for God? <laughs> it's the, the, how can sinners be justified? The one, the, the, the womb matter, is 
God dealing with something which he himself had created, he himself had made as the normal course of life. It's not that hard for God to change that, that normal course of life. But when we're talking about how sinners can be saved, we're talking about dealing with something that is in God himself, his righteousness. And how can he, a righteous, holy God, justify sinners? If we're going to make that comparison, I do that very carefully because both are amazing, wonderful works of God. But I think I am correct in saying this is the greater, this is the more difficult, that God could justify sinners than that God could make a virgin pregnant. That is the greater. Jesus, I think, says the same thing when his uh, disciples marveled at what Jesus had had done in his miracles. And Jesus says, you marvel at this, you're going to see greater things. And I think what he's saying is, you're going to see people who are dead in their trespasses and sins be brought to life by faith in me, in Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, 32, we read, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? You know, that's a wonderful verse that just needs to seep into our, to our consciousness and into our bones and into our blood. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. If God gave his son for you, do you really think He's going to withhold anything that you need that is good for you. Do you really think that? He gave his son for you. And so these words are an encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, and to me, who are in Christ Jesus and who do believe, though we have weak faith at times and we stumble and fall. Is anything too difficult for God? But to those who may be here and who are not believers, you're not Christians. No matter, this, this says no matter what you are, no matter what you've done, there's hope for you. Because nothing's impossible for God. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means God loves sinners. God can love sinners, and he does love sinners. He demonstrated that love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let that sink into you. Hear that message. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But listen, and such were some of you. 
but you've been washed. You have been sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We cannot outsin the grace of God. We cannot sin to such a degree or to, to get beyond the reach of God. That is the consistent, wonderful message of Scripture. And God calls then you and says, I've sent my son. Trust in him. Believe in Jesus Christ. And be saved. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that in him and in him only is there salvation for sinners like us. Pray, O oh Lord, that we would be encouraged and comforted knowing that you are God. And that there is no power that is greater than you. There is nothing, O oh Lord, that can stop you from accomplishing your purposes. And we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to save sinners. And may each and every one of us here hear and believe and be saved. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.